0: Hello and welcome to HelpCast 305. This is your host, Dr. Rob Polzak, physical therapist, owner of Physiologics Physical Therapy. Today we have a special guest in a new category. Um, his name is Dr. Todd Giardino. I think I said that yep. right. Yeah, you go. Uh, He is a licensed psychologist uh, with more than 15 years of experience. Uh, and he's very well recognized and acclaimed as one of the few male psychologists in South Florida. So that's a cool a cool thing apparently it's not a career that many guys get into um and so he's a he's a phys- he's a phd and he operates out of the coral gables counseling center so That's everyone it. welcome yep. dr todd is there anything Thank else you. i missed there any any cool bits uh, of information that you'd like to share um, on top
1: of that well the other interesting tidbits it's uh, i'm originally from new orleans so i'm not a miami native that makes me stand out a little bit sometimes <laughs> um but yeah, uh, we'll, we'll get into it a little bit. It's My career has taken some interesting turns, and I do a little bit of this and a little bit of that. So I, I, I try to be a little bit different than everybody else. Okay, good. Well, that's a good thing.
0: Um, all right, so let's let's start off with, uh, I have a little list of questions here because, you know. Sure. There's a lot, there's a lot of things we get into, and I just wanted to keep myself organized. Um, so tell me a little bit about your practice in particular. What What is your practice? How did it start and all that? Um, what's the focus of it?
1: Right. So I'm in a group private practice. Um, so it's, I think there's 20 of us in the, in the group at this point, And we try to cover a little bit of everything. I like working with groups because then, you know, you've got a team atmosphere. So if there's mm-hmm. something that my patient needs, then we don't need to farm it out. We've got somebody in house can do it because it does take a team. I, I've been in private practice, I think a little over maybe 12 or 13 years now, something like that, but I really got my start working in hospitals. And so I, I like the hospital team atmosphere. I like the idea that there's parts of a patient's care that I can't tend to, and so I want to have backup. Um, private practice has been great. It's fun because I make my own hours. It's fun because I get to choose a little bit of who I like to work with. And what I've found is that that kind of chose me. Uh, I've, I was trained as a health psychologist. I was trained to work in pain management and end of life care. That's really what my course was throughout my education, my training years, my like really when I was figuring out what I was supposed to be doing. But then when private practice started, it sort of chose me that the people who tended to come back, the people who tended to choose me as their therapist, the people who had the best results tended to be women. And women and couples, both. Mm -hmm. And I found success there. I found that maybe this is where I'm supposed to be. So even though technically it's not where my training was, I don't have a great deal, hardly any training in couples therapy. And women is not something that's really a specific focus when you're saying this is what I want to do as a psychologist. That's who chose me. When I was trying to figure out who do I work best with, It kind of was answered that this is who we think you work best with because this is who keeps showing up on your doorstep, right? And so now the focus has become I still integrate the health psychology, the pain management, the end-of-life care when needed. But my focus has been women who are going through a life change. And that tends to be sometimes they bring in a spouse when it's marital issues or when it's child issues. Uh, but it's women who are debating, getting back into the workforce, changing career, going back to school uh, do I need to change my relationship it's there's something that they 've hit, and we try to help them get past that roadblock
0: okay, okay, so it kind of came it kind of came to you in that sense where you th- you started off thinking you were doing one thing and then you realized that you maybe were more specialized in another, or people at least the people that were drawn to you kind of told you right. who. It right. showed you what you
1: were better at, right? Right. And, I've, and, you know, it's interesting. I get to know a lot of people's stories, and that's part of my, my job, right? I get to hear people's intimate details. And for so many people, so many career professionals, that's how it goes. That I thought I was on path A, and I ended up on path W, and that's where I'm at. <laughs> so it's, I, yeah. I, stuck, I stuck with the career, but I've definitely pivoted a couple of times into where I felt the right niche was for me.
0: All right, cool. Yeah, definitely. I I had the same thing with me. I mean, it's, you start off thinking one thing and you go through school and then you can totally switch it. Um, you, you just find out who you like. That's why clinicals are important. That's why that experience is important. But sometimes your patients end up choosing you, which is good because it's like, it's a natural ebb and flow. It's the invisible hand of this health career that gets you where you want to be hopefully.
1: Um, and whether we admit it or not, we're in the, it's, it's a people business. You and I are both, you have to interact with somebody. And so it's not purely, Money is not purely function. It's got to be who you jive with. And there's it's, it's customer care. It's interpersonal skills. And some people you just kind of vibe with better. You, you yeah. get them. They get you. And, and we need to trust our, our professionals. And so many times I've had patients come and they talk to me about their, their medical professionals, be it an ob guy or a PCP or a psychiatrist or whatever. And they'll say, I mean, maybe he's great. Maybe she's good. But I just don't like them. I don't feel like they listen. I don't feel like they get me. So there is this kind of matching that I think naturally happens in our fields.
0: Yeah, definitely. And if you get that kind of feedback from someone, it's usually a sign that maybe we should be working together. So it's good Ready? that you yeah that we find the correct match. Um, oh, sorry. You so just... you were? Well, sorry, Siri's talking over here. Let me turn this off. Um, you can join can the conversation. A... Yeah. Right. She's, she wants, she has some things to say, you know, she's a woman. She has some, she's interested in what you have to Um, offer.
1: I'm listening.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Um, So your specialty, like you said, is relationships and and women. Um, Yeah. And it seems like your experience working kind of led you to that. Um, What are some of the things specifically in the relationships category that you can delve into? What are some of the biggest things you see with relationship issues? Like maybe in the South Florida region, if that's any different um, with relationships. So,
1: I don't know if it's specific to south florida but it's definitely the thing that comes up the most is jealousy and infidelity right it's it's typically trust issues and it may not be that somebody cheated but it's that i feel like there's we start getting into some of the gray area of emotional infidelity of distrust and even some of the gray area of when does it become abuse versus difficult conversations so that's a lot of who i end up seeing because the way that we speak to our partner to our spouse it it shows a lot. And I mean, if I wanna be cheesy but honest, it's typically communication, right? That's what all my Mm -hmm. couples need is communication. Mm -hmm. But sometimes it's not just, you could say that differently to your partner. A lot of times it presents that somebody feels like there's cheating or distrust or infidelity or loss of love or loss of interest. And I'll tell you, it's a real messy thing because trust is not something you can just create out of the ether it really comes with time and experience and the way i explain it to a lot of my couples it's like when you go into one of those factory floors and you see they have the sign that says it's been 200 days since our last accident mm-hmm, yeah and that's kind of how it works in your relationship that if it's been 200 days since your last misstep since your last foul up since your last fear that somebody uh, transgressed the more days go by the easier it is to go okay i'm safe again i can let my guard down but when it just happened two weeks ago seeing your therapist doesn't suddenly make that all okay we've got to rebuild trust and 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 fidelity and and faith right
0: yeah to me it always sounds like i've never and i've never been involved with anything like that like with cheating that just sounds like it would be such a devastating thing to happen to a relationship like i can't imagine just from my uh, layman perspective it seemed like it'd be really hard to fix something like that so i can imagine that that's your
1: job is cut out for you at that point right And what I found fascinating is that it's it's not easy to fix, but it's very idiosyncratic to the couple. What do you consider cheating? Because some people differ just on that definition. Is it cheating if you text somebody? Is it cheating if you lie about who you had lunch with? Is it cheating if you go to a strip club? Is it cheating if you talk to an ex on Instagram? So a a lot of it, we get into just definitions and expectations, but I've been fascinating to see how many couples work past the cheating. And that's something that it's, It's very specific to the couple. There's no magic to make you get past that. You've got to really both be willing to do the work, but there's so many factors that get involved. And whether it's getting past cheating or whether it's deciding do we stay together for whatever the reason may be, there's a lot of things that you need to consider and a lot of what I provide is the space to have that conversation. Because typically when somebody gets cheated on or abused or there's a bad incident or whatever happens, you've got some friends yelling, just leave him, just leave her. And so, But it's not simple there's, we've got kids together, we've got a mortgage together, we've got a life together. Uh, we had many good years before this thing. And so what I try to do is give the couple the space to say, listen, I'm not judging. I don't decide what you should do. There's no right answer, but let's figure out without anybody judging, what is the move for you guys, right? And yeah, each couple needs to decide for themselves.
0: Yeah, that's the thing. I think a lot of people involve the family and friends, right? That's that's a huge thing where it's like, well, I was thinking this and then you, you ask for advice from your family or your friends and They're usually, I feel like they don't know the situation so well, so they usually offer pretty polarizing ideas, right?
1: Yeah, we immediately back our person, assume that our person is right. And then the other danger that comes with that is then now if he or she, whoever your partner is, if we mend, then now the family looks at you with a stink eye, right? So it's the real, what I try to provide for whether it's women or the couple is also a place to talk. Because some people have figured out, I can't go tell my family. Now they're going to look at my relationship weird the rest of the time we're together. So I can't tell the people I would usually tell. So where do I put this? And your psychologist is who you tell because you need to talk to somebody. But you know you can't tell these people or they're going to be biased, you know?
0: Yeah, some people are big sharers and some people don't want to share stuff with their family. I mean, personally, with my family, I don't want to really share anything with them. I I know my mom gives Bad advice, in my opinion. Hopefully, <laughs> hope she, she doesn't watch this episode, but we'll see. Too many cooks so in the, the kitchen. Patient.
1: No, what I tell everybody, though, is that you need the right type of advice. Your mom can give great advice about a certain topic, but maybe relationships isn't it. So you need to ask the right expert. And I tell my, my patients, like, listen, you shouldn't bring me your car and tell me it's going ticka 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 because I am not an auto mechanic. Mm-hmm. But you shouldn't ask your auto mechanic, should I leave my husband? because they don't know so it's <laughs> the key is to ask the yeah. right person the right advice and too often people ask relationship advice from that friend who's been in bad relationships so does that friend really know what they're talking about yeah maybe they're not an expert on that field you know
0: it seems like at least in my generation the people who are most vocal about relationships and things like that on instagram and online you know because Instagram's where i spend some of my time looking at yeah. you know random people posting those are the people that are always in like I don't I feel like i wouldn't want their advice anyway they're usually talking about relationships and how they get involved with the wrong people it's always dramatic and it's like why would you i feel like that wouldn't be the person you want to talk to but those are usually your friends and and then you might talk to them because you see them always posting about it and then you might get some advice that comes from like a a perspective that might not be the best for you or your relationship
1: well because what we do as humans is we want to feel connected we want to feel not alone we want to feel familiar. So this feels familiar. I just got out of a bad relationship. So did this person on Instagram. So we can relate. And it's nice to feel related to, but if you're trying to make choices, you want to ask somebody who's been in a healthy relationship or who found a partner after 10 years being single. That's whose advice you want. You don't want advice from the person who's stuck in the same spot. You want to commiserate. But sometimes we confuse that commiserating, hey, you're like me, with, oh, I should do what you do. Right. And so that's kind of the trick is understanding the two different phases.
0: Yeah, I can imagine that that's that's probably and that's something that a lot of people themselves want to be qualified to take care of themselves with I'm Assuming they would probably make that they, that's why you probably want someone like a that's qualified to step in because people on their own. They always make the best decisions, as we know. I know that with PT, at least I'm yeah. sure that you know that with your with your profession. Oh, yeah. So so that's the couples aspect um what about women's issues so you said that women kind of ended up the women and the couple concept gravitated to you in your practice mm-hmm. what do you what about women j- drove them to you and what are some common issues maybe the listeners would like a female listener would come
1: across as a woman what's the most common thing that you're seeing? so yeah what what i try to provide And I'm not always, I don't claim to be perfect at it, but what I try to provide is that I can, when I'm talking to heterosexual women and couples, I can provide a little bit of both sides because I understand women's viewpoint, but then I can talk as the man in the room. So a lot Mm -hmm. of what I do with my women is say, if I were your husband, I could imagine feeling this way in reaction to what you just said. If I were your son, your brother, your father, so, and I deal with a large age range. So there's some younger women who are in their early twenties who will say, listen, I don't like the way your dad spoke to you, if I was your dad, I would try to say this. And maybe you still don't like the thing you, I said, but I'm trying to give you a different perspective of what a dad might feel for his daughter. So I try to give that male perspective, but it's, I'm not your dad, I'm not your husband. So we can role play some things. We can run through some scenarios. We can do it in a, in a non-contentious area. And I mean, I'm just one guy's opinion. I don't represent all men, but at least it's somebody who you don't have a sexual relationship with. You don't have a familial relationship with. So it removes those complications and we can have that male female dialogue. And that's a lot of what I provide. What I find with that though, is that so many women will write down on the intake form. I'm coming in for X, Y, or Z issue. And then after about 20 minutes of the initial session, we finally get to, and yeah, I've got some relationship stuff going on. So it's always relationships because, and it may not be romantic relationships. It may not be with the guy in your life. It might be with your sister or your coworker, but we are our relationships and women more than men are more vocal about working through the relationship. And so that tends to be what ends up happening is that, you know, like I said, at the beginning, I talked to a lot of women about that, that phase transition. Do I need to make choice A or choice B? And again, while I don't, make the choice for them, we talk it through in an open forum to help you come to what feels like the right choice for you with no judgment. Um, But those choices so often center around your relationships. Anxiety about a relationship, fear about a relationship, self-judgment from something somebody said to me in a relationship. So it's sort of disentangling that who are you versus your relationships. And at the core, what I really try to do is help women find the who am I at my core. If nobody's looking, if nobody's judging, if Instagram's turned off, if my family's not giving their feedback, then who am I truly?
0: Yeah, and so you're mentioning the communication aspect. And, you know, girls, I feel like everyone thinks that women are better at expressing it. And it seems like you might agree with that. So, what is it with guys that, you know, that they sometimes just let things passively go by and they're worse at communication? Is it the way that
1: society is or the way that they're raised? I think you're hitting it right there. Yeah. I mean, I think it's this expectation that, I mean, going back to like the most basic, most core macho kind of like a girl's crying and people say, What's wrong? and a boy's crying and they say, Suck it up, stop crying. Yeah. Right. So at a very young age, boys are not taught to express feelings, use feeling words. Boys are taught that the acceptable feeling is to be angry. So it's interesting because. I mean, I'm a grown man and I am a psychologist, but if I stub my toe, my immediate reaction is to to kind of growl with anger, <laughs> yeah. and hold it in. And my wife will immediately start crying, which if I think about it, that really hurt. I would like to cry also, but I'm so wired that you don't cry, you get mad and you punch the thing that hurt you. <laughs> and and, it, and it's, we're trained in this way, but it's also that men don't talk with men. If you put three women in a room, there will be so many vocabulary words that come out, so much dialogue. And my wife, she laughs because I'll get together with my buddies for social distancing happy hour and she'll say, mm-hmm. how's everybody doing? And I go, I don't know. And she'll ask, how's this one's marriage? I'm like, it didn't come up. How's this one's kids? We never talked about it. Like, we just talked about stuff. We, we <laughs> interacted as men, but I didn't ask real questions. Yeah. And one time she even said, why didn't you ask about so-and-so's marriage? Like, isn't it a struggle? Did they get divorced? And I was like, well, we didn't want to ruin the movement. Right? We were having fun. So I don't want to like bring it down. But a woman would immediately turn her friend and be like, oh my God, Charlotte, how's your marriage? Like, I'm concerned about you. That's the most impressing, most important, pressing thing. And so I think men, we just, even when we're locked in a room alone and there's nobody looking, we don't go to that dialogue, that communication amongst even other men.
0: Yeah, that's funny. That's so true. It's like these things that you take for granted. When you're saying that stuff, I'm like, that's so true. I wouldn't, I wouldn't ask those questions to my buddies
1: ever. Like, I wouldn't even consider that. I even teach women how to talk to men. How do you talk to your spouse? Like you don't look him in the eye and say, I think we should talk. I tell him <laughs> what you should do is sit shoulder to shoulder, hip to hip. And while we're watching TV, yeah. don't ever make eye contact. Don't turn. Just look right at the screen and say, Hey man, how are you feeling about your brother's death? And don't look at him and don't let him look at you. And then he'll be like, yeah, it sucks. And you can be like, you good? Yeah, you good. And that's how you talk to your man. Like you don't, <laughs> Don't turn and look at me in the yeah. eye because now I'm going to feel like, oh oh my, it's too much intimacy. So even with your spouse, or I teach that you should talk in bed, lay in the darkness and stare at the ceiling and talk. Because then I don't have to, you don't need to see, what if I cry? I don't want you to see me cry. I'm a man. But maybe yeah. I need to cry in the darkness of the bed <laughs> yeah. so you didn't see it. And I can be just, you know, it's yeah. cutting onions in here. <laughs> so it's, it's definitely this stereotypical behavior that, I don't know if it's nature or nurture, but it's definitely what men and women are sort of pressed into.
0: Yeah, that's so true. The, those probably would be effective techniques. I'm thinking of all the times a guy has, just like, approached me directly on, and you're always... It's like my innate instinct, like, what the hell are you doing, man? Like, right, yeah, which hurt, angle? It feels weird, yeah. It's like this defensive posture you take. And the thing with right. you stubbing your toe is so funny. I've had things where I've, I've stubbed my foot on something, or... Like, I always hit my freaking shin on the side of the bed, and I get so mad. And it's right. like... You don't see girls do that much. They they they're disappointed. They're sad about it. So is there yeah. is there like a better do you think that the way women do it is the correct way? Or that there's something in between? Um, or that guys are wrong? Or like is that a weird question? Like our girls are asking. Yeah. Um, because well, they, could I'll they be you too, this. you know, saddened by things when they shouldn't be, or uh, this could be a sketchy question. This yeah, is just and I'm gonna that. answer it.
1: <laughs> irregardless irrespective of gender i will say that mm-hmm. there's some research that shows that people who withhold their emotions can be so you've heard of people saying that somebody's type a right mm-hmm. your type a personality you're very rigid you're very like neurotic well type a people tend to be a little bit more angry also a little bit more like ah why is traffic this way what and so type a people are prone to more anger aggression expression of frustration they tend to have more heart disease type b people are very passive they're the they may not be successful in life but they have good health they're very just like go with the flow yeah type c is this other personality where there's no expression i don't show anger i don't show sadness i don't so i'm just very withdrawn and type c c stands for cancer from there's some evidence and none of it's like a leads to z directly but there's some evidence that if you hold in all your emotions it might manifest as cancer cell growth Mm-hmm. And that's not a direct correlation, but it's, it's, but it's there in the evidence. So what I'm saying is, at a health level, at a physiologic level, too much expression of anger is bad, and too little expression of emotion is bad for your health. And so we're always, my answer to everything is always gray. Yeah. And what do we need? Men should express a little bit more articulately and a little bit more clearly, but sometimes women go too much into it and get lost in the emotions and, like... You know, the stereotype becomes, why are you still crying over your ex from three years ago, right? Like, Mm -hmm. but then what I would say to the guy in this made up scenario is, why have you not cried about your brother's death yet? So if you take those like polar opposites, men could show a little bit more, but some women get too caught up in the feelings and the feelings are misconstrued for reality at times.
0: So 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 if guys, yeah. Yeah, go, go, go. No, I was just going off that. So like if you're a guy and you, you tend not to show much emotion over things, like you're not sad about things a lot, like is that something that you would say probably needs to be fixed? Or like what if they live their whole life and they're just known as this like stoic man? Like, is that a bad thing or you know, or well, is that something everybody that should expresses be
1: expresses differently, right? Mm-hmm. So what I always think about when I when I get into this is that and especially with my couples, that there's different ways of saying the same thing. So there's a Parks and Recreation episode where uh, Andy and April are professing their love and April says, I love you. And Andy says, awesome sauce. (laughs) And at the very end of the episode, it's pointed out that awesome sauce is his version of saying, I love you. That that's, yes, he didn't say, I love you, but don't you understand that that's what he was trying to say. (laughs) Now he could have said it better. And so sometimes what we need to look at is the stoic man if he turns to you and says, good to see you, man, that to him might be his version of I've missed you and longed for you. Oh. And it's been ages. Right. So we need to kind of yeah. consider the person's context that not everybody needs to express the same, but relative to your baseline, when something abnormal happens, you should have a upswell of expression. Right.
0: Mm-hmm. And Is so, there- Yeah.
1: I was going to say, do you think that there's like a genetic
0: component, like a nurture versus nature thing? Maybe men are more are just like genetically wired to be less um, emotional, like outwardly emotional about things. Or is this really like the
1: way that we're socialized? So it's the answer is yes, both. Um. (laughs) Because the evolutionary psychology says that men were taught to be the hunters out in the hunting party. And so you need to communicate quietly and through grunts. Mm, mm, mm. (laughs) Otherwise, you will scare the prey. And men are taught to spend long periods being alone and quiet together. But so long as I know you're there and I can kind of feel your shoulder touching mine, we're cool. And women are taught to stay at the cave and raise the children. Mm -hmm. And they need to be able to communicate, hey, can you watch my kid while I go pick berries? And so being able to clearly say, I need you to watch my kid while I pick berries, otherwise the lion's going to eat the kid. So if you go way back into our evolutionary programming, there's that. But then societally, you see different cultures. There's a lot of interesting research about different cultures, both your culture of origin in terms of um, like where you grew up, your culture of your family and your ethnic background, and all speak to different ways of expressing emotion and what is kind of planned into you, what is programmed. If you go, if, if I, I'm stereotyping, but it's based in truth, so I, I don't mean any ill harm. But if mm-hmm. you go to a funeral in the British countryside, it's gonna be very stoic. If you go a funeral with a black community in Atlanta, it's gonna be very expressive. And neither one is right or wrong, but it's what's idiosyncratic to that culture and what is mm-hmm. shown as acceptable behavior or expected behavior, right?
0: Yeah, that totally makes sense. I mean, we can we can think already, like, I'm uh, I'm Ukrainian. And, you know, I see a lot of Eastern Europeans, I have some patients that are Eastern Euros, sometimes, uh, you know, Miami, that'll happen. Mm -hmm. But uh, they definitely have a different way of expressing themselves, the girls and the boys, as opposed to someone that might be from, like, Central America, Dominican Republic, Haiti, like, they all have their different ways of expressing it. And it's kind of funny because you start picking up on trends. You try not to let it affect yeah. your way you treat them, of course.
1: No, but but uh,
0: even the things they say, like, I'll be hurting someone and they'll be like, wow, wow. <laughs> it's like, for some reason, I think um, my my North Miami patients tend to be like that, where it's like, they'll say, wow, instead of, I'm like, are they like impressed by the pain or are they actually in severe pain right now? So right. I got you got to clear things up with people because it's, you know, you or you just got to learn what they're like, so... Well, can the aspect.
1: Pain management, which overlaps for both of us, again, I yeah. did that for many years, mm-hmm. um, there's both a difference in how certain genetic background and ethnic background experiences pain. Like truly pain tolerance is different for uh, black versus white men, different for redheads, um, uh, different obviously for men versus women. Um, And so there's a core, there's a baseline pain tolerance that's different for different people and genders. And there's also a different pain expression. And so being able to understand that a black man versus a white redheaded female, they might both be experiencing a seven out of 10 pain, but the way they vocalize it is going to be different. And so we need to understand, well, how much meds or how much, what, what do we need there, you know? Yeah,
0: working with that. Now you brought up a good point. That is, this is like a totally you probably been asked this question a lot. But when you say men versus women and pain tolerance, um, there's a lot of people saying a lot of stuff out there. What is your take on that in terms of how much pain a woman and and man can tolerate? In my experience, it seems like if you look at something like a knee replacement, which is the most aggressive um, musculoskeletal procedure, one of the Mm -hmm. most aggressive that I see in the clinic, Mm -hmm. it looks to me it seems like it seems like guys usually have it worse like they they deal with it a little bit less well and they'll do it in the way that you're talking about which is like they're angry like like, uh," but women yeah i mean there's this theory that women like oh they're weak they can't handle pain but then i think that women can handle more pain in that sense and they also give they give birth and that seems like the most painful thing in the world so what have you learned at least about pain psychology and men versus women
1: and so um, I haven't read the latest research. I've, I've trended away from pain psychology, but yeah. where I left off um, and what I've seen, you know, anecdotally, what happens is with acute injury, acute pain, men do better. So the stubbing the toe, right? I can mm-hmm. stub my toe and not drop my glass of water, but my wife will fall down and crumble. the The sudden acute onset, men do better with that. And so imagine, uh, I don't know, a, a boxing match, or imagine a car accident, or, or Banging your shin. So, in that, if you've got eight seconds to reply, men do better. But chronic pain, ongoing pain, unremitting pain, rehab pain, pain through hours of labor, women go far and above of being able to tolerate. And what I think this comes down to, some of it is physiologic and the way that women are made to be able to tolerate these things. I mean, imagine if men had a 10 month gestation period, right? Like if for 10 <laughs> months, your hip bones had to expand and your chest hurt and all, like men would not do well with it. But women, even if you've never been pregnant, even if pregnancy is not a normal course of thing for you, your body knows how to handle it. Um, and I think this comes from women getting their period. I really think that women at the age of menarche all the way until menopause, right? Women know that every month, the varying degrees for each woman's, you know, physiology, you're going to have seven to 10, depending days of discomfort. And it may not be pain per se, but you're going to have this chronic, repetitive, cyclic discomfort yeah. in your body. And the first few months a girl gets her period, it's psychologically and physically a lot, understandably. But women just go on about their day. Women know that, I'm getting my period or I'm about to get my period and I'm not great. I'm not hundred percent, but I'm going to carry on. And so women are taught and trained through the way our culture is that you don't get to take a break because you're getting your period. And mm-hmm. so they know how to just plow through. I'm either going to take meds or I'm going to ignore it, or I'm going to, but again, a man, this is where men, women joke about the man flu or a man cold that I'm used to feeling hundred percent all the time. <laughs> so if I drop 10%, If physiologically I'm 10% off my game, I feel like we should take a break. I should go to the ER because I'm not used to discomfort. (laughs) It's not okay, right? So when it comes to pain, I think women are indoctrinated into pain.
0: Yeah, sometimes I'm amazed that girls, when they have their time of the month, I'm like, "How, how how are they existing right now? If that happened to me, I would be like, this is... This is devastating. I'm not doing anything. Of course, it'd be totally unexpected because I'm a guy, but I would. It would be. It would freak me out if it was just. It's part of the culture, though. You got to move on and deal with it, I guess, right? Yeah. So, now, um, this this is a this is kind of a left field question here, but mm-hmm. uh, well, not really. It's it's pertinent, but I don't know if it means anything. So, coronavirus, the whole COVID thing. Everyone's cooped up inside. Couples are forced together. Um, people are spending more time around each other. The guys are taking different roles in the house. I'm assuming. Have you noticed any kind of changes in the types of patients coming to you lately because of coronavirus? So
1: it's interesting. I haven't, it's not a change per se, right? Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the concern people have had for me is or do you get a lot of people with OCD who are popping up more now? Uh, germaphobes, right? Yeah. And I haven't had more on my caseload, but there's definitely some people who their anxiety has jumped from worrying about this to now worrying about coronavirus. And some anxiety is. Is global; It's not specific. Some fears and panic can kind of jump from this specific concern to this one. So I'm seeing that. Um, I'm seeing that it's generally this extra stressor, right? And so if you imagine that all of us are at some kind of baseline, that we're all bopping along at a 7 out of 10 happiness scale, well, everybody globally has taken one or two points of a hit. But it hits some people differently because maybe I'm starting at a 7 out of 10, but you are already at a 4 out of 10. And mm-hmm. so if I get knocked down two notches, I'm still at five out of 10. I'm okay. But now you're underwater. Now you're at two out of 10. So yeah. a lot of people who are kind of doing okay are suddenly not doing okay because they've been suppressed, right? There's this other stressor and it's not going away anytime soon. Um, and then the other thing I'm seeing is some weird dynamics with couples, not necessarily the couples because they're cooped up that it's changing, but I've had at least two couples that reconnected because they needed somebody to quarantine with that they trust oh. So we're broken up with, but now we're living together. <laughs> yeah. I've had, I had three relationships start in quarantine and say, well, you got tested and I got tested. So now let's just hang out in my apartment for three weeks and make see if this jives before mm-hmm. you leave. So there's been some weird sort of quarantine yeah. dynamics that I don't know that I would have voted for, but
0: we're working <laughs> through it, you know? Yeah. No one wants to vote for coronavirus, but there are right? some... Uh, seems like there are some that's what i figured i was like there's got to be some kind of coronavirus impact on your
1: on your job so um all well, right that's so the biggest thing and what i'm letting people know yeah. is that your depression is a hard term to use because there's so many it's on a scale it's on a spectrum but mm-hmm. like you don't need to think of yourself as depressed but you need to think of all of us as suffering and so this is what we would call in most cases an adjustment disorder that if i remove the stressor. If I take my thumb off of you, if coronavirus goes away, then you're going to feel better. But right now, while we're in it, you're not doing so great. So we need to address the symptoms of the moment as though they are real, as though they are yours. As though, but we also need to not personify them and say, "Whoa, I'm a failure," or "I'm weak because I need antidepressants or therapy," or I, I, "I'm not doing well." Dude, nobody's doing well. So everybody, yeah. like, depersonalize it. Don't take it like it's a failure of yours, but. Take care of it. And so I give, um, I'm sure you've given this analogy before, but I give the broken leg analogy. That like, you don't need to tough it out. Dude, if you got a broken leg, slap on some crutches. I'm not saying you're gonna use crutches forever, but Mm -hmm. right now, use the crutches, man. And so right now, everybody needs their crutch of whatever it is. And you may not need therapy. Maybe you just need to eat a little extra ice cream or let yourself Mm -hmm. sleep in on the weekends or reconnect with your ex, even though you know it's a bad idea, but I need something right now. Mm -hmm. And so then when Corona lifts, and we're going to do a lot of reevaluating of, okay, now let's make that change. Let's get back to baseline, you know?
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, it seems the coronavirus just seems like, a, like it's a constant weight. Even if everything's good, you just, you think about the fact that there's this world pandemic going on and mm-hmm. things are closed and you start thinking about the economy and then it just, it's like, it's always hanging over you. So
1: that's what I was thinking. Like, I feel like people are probably constantly held back by that. And that's the biggest thing that I am seeing that I I should say that has changed is that people who used to cope through going to the gym can't. People used to cope by going to happy hour can't. People used to cope by going to the movies and escaping can't. People used to cope by traveling can't. People used to cope by going to church can't. So a lot of your typical coping skills have now been removed. A lot of my extroverts are doing terribly because I'm used to being around people and now I can't. And so that's the big thing that you were doing fine with your life because you had your typical coping skills. But now I just yanked away 90% of them. So now what do you do?
0: Yeah, the the gyms being closed is terrible. And they were going to shut them down again. And I was like, what am I going to do with my life? I was so depressed about it because I just spent three months using kettlebells. I had these two stupid kettlebells I used. And I learned a lot of cool exercises, but I was just like
1: shrinking and shrinking. And I, and I want to stay big. So it was really stressful for me. So I'm going to give a plug here. Um, there's a website I have no connection to, but I pitched this to all my patients. I have no mm-hmm. idea why it's called this. It's called dare D A R R E B E E. I don't know. I've stumbled <laughs> upon it like 10 years ago, but yeah. what it does is it gives you printable, uh, eight and a half by 11, uh, posters, kind of like you used to see in old school gyms, like, yeah. like old timey. And it would be a poster on the wall of do these exercises with like the strong man and poses. <laughs> and so this group puts together these things and they'll say this is if you're a novice this is if you have kettlebells this is if you mm-hmm. want to do abs this is oh, if you want to do butt bluster and so but most of them don't require a gym or equipment so i've pitched this to all my patients who say they don't have access to gyms or they don't have time because they're working moms or because they don't have finances so even before corona i'm like listen do a chair squat against the wall for three minutes then go do a plank for three minutes then do jumping jacks for three minutes you're good man you don't need to go to a gym. I mean, for you, you're a buff guy. So, to yes, to maintain your bulk, you would. But if you want to stay in good fitness, you don't need any anything. You can do this in your living room at 2 a.m. So you're still getting that heart rate up. You're still getting that sweat and that pump. But we're using just body weight and some complex exercises. And it's – There
0: you I'm go. Darebee.com, everyone. Dare Dare B. Dot com, man. Yeah. I man. like – So now now that we're plugging stuff, let's start plugging you, man. Let's, let's find out All a right. little bit about you. So one of the – One of the things I was looking up was this Dr. G method. Can you explain the Dr. G method to me?
1: So, yeah, it's people ask. They they do some research and they or they've got a psychology background. They want to know what techniques do you use? What theory do you work from? Because in psychology, there's different theories. Like most people know the Freudian type of theory, that Mm -hmm. that method of going, hmm, hmm. Tell me about your mother. But what's very popular right now is cognitive behavioral therapy because that's the one that's the most researched and it's the one that insurance companies want to know that you do. But cognitive behavioral therapy, in my opinion, is a little bit stiff. It's, uh-huh. it's a lot of workbooks. It's a lot of step one, step two. And I don't find that works for my personality and for my patients. So the Dr. G method is hard to sum up in a few bullet points, which is why I wrote this whole webpage. But I want people to understand what they're buying, that you're the customer and you need to know this is what you're going to get. Like part of the Dr. G method is that I will talk about myself. And Not all psychologists do that. Not all therapists do that. That sometimes can startle people. But I think it helps if you feel like I'm another person in the room and we interact. I think it's, in my professional opinion, it doesn't work if I sit like the man on the throne and I just dictate what to do. Mm -hmm. That works for a lot of professionals and a lot of customers. And so I'm letting you know this is what you're buying. And I say fuck and shit a lot. And that is (laughs) off putting to some patients. But we talk about sex a lot in my sessions. And I need you to feel comfortable using whatever language you want, and feeling like we can just be real. If you come in and you're upset about your life, and you want to say what the fuck, you're allowed, you don't need to censor yourself. I'm not your granddad, I'm not your boss. So it's okay. And so this is not a method that you would learn in school, right. But I'm also not making it up, because there's a lot of Um, snake oil salesmen in the in the field of coaching or mental health, or they put themselves out there these kind of vague terms, uh, that they will be your guide. And they're just making it up. And it can quickly slippery slope into like, the creepy guy who thinks he needs to sleep with his patients to cure them, or somebody coming up with these bizarre methods Mm -hmm. of like, we need to go take a hike in the jungle, and you need to face death. Like some of this stuff is just extreme. And some person had a crazy idea. (laughs) <laughs> my stuff is based in i have a phd i have research training i have yeah. been trained in clinical settings so i know that this is not gobbledygook but yeah. i've tried to put my personal spin on it to show what fits me because i can't be not me right there's not a professional side of me i put on a nicer shirt and i use bigger <laughs> words but i'm still me and so yeah. this is what you're getting you're getting a human interaction. And that's, I mean, the Dr. G method's a little bit more complicated than that, but that's what it comes down to is I want you to know who I am and how I'm going to be with you in the room. And if that ain't for you, that's cool, but I can't really be not me,
0: right? Yeah, I was looking through your, the on your website, I was looking through your Dr. G method some of the bullet points you had. And I was like, okay, this is good stuff. This is kind of like akin to me as a physical therapist, having different modalities that I use um, and different techniques that I do it with without being that, that body work person that has some weird, like, we're going to rub um, THC into your earlobes. Like, it's not like, that's not what it's about. Like, you're right. just operating within your PhD, and you have your own methods that work, and they're unique to you. So that's really good. But it's I also when,
1: moving with, I'm sorry, go. go, go. Oh, I was like saying, when
0: I was starting my Instagram, I remember you telling me specifically to to show more of me in my, in my videos. Cause people want to connect with you as a person. And just like you, you know, you, you use the swear words, you, you talk about yourself, which I think I would like too. I wouldn't want to be talking to some stiff
1: board in the wall. But some people feel comfortable with it. Some yeah, people, true. Um, I mean, it's funny. I'm going to contradict myself, but I've seen many therapists over the years. And I had one who she shared a little bit too much personal with me. And I told her like, please, no, thank you. Like, I appreciate that you trust me. Maybe, you know, I'm also a peer professional. So you feel like, but I need you to keep it together. I need you to be just clean and I don't need, I don't want to worry about you in the room. And maybe it's because of my career, but I felt like I don't want to know your stuff because it's going to make me think, is she okay? Do I need to check on her? Uh, So I needed her to be a little bit more. Yeah. So you need to know who you are and who you're matching with. It's very much a match. So, okay,
0: so on, on this topic here, do you have something called the 360 health assel, uh, assessment. Um, it involves like health and holistic psychology. Can you explain that for me a little
1: bit? Right. So I've tried to find the right language that's translatable to, to customers, to clients, to patients. How do you understand what I'm doing? And like I said, the Dr. G method is one attempt, but the 360 health assessment is an attempt to try to understand that I'm not just your mental doctor, Right. That's what I'm trained in, and that's the only thing that I'm going to do kind of with you and to you, but we need to talk about all the other holistic aspects of the whole person, and I think it's not really useful if we only talk about your mood, if I only ask, how's your anxiety level? Again, that's what a lot of people expect from a mental health provider. That's what a lot of mental health providers do. I'm not maligning that. That doesn't mean it's bad, but what Dr. Jardina tries to do is to say, listen, I need to know from Jump Street. I need to know what medications you're on, and not just the psych ones. I need to know all of them. And I, I've learned a lot of psychopharmacology and a lot of general pharmacology. I can't prescribe, and I'm not going to be the one to tell you to change your dosage. That's not in my wheelhouse. But I need to know what meds you're on because I know the side effects might lead to such and such. Like, for instance, if you're taking steroids, like not ster- like an anabolic steroids, but mm-hmm. steroids to treat an infection, that can cause anxiety and sleeplessness and agitation. Mm-hmm. I know that. And then if you come in and say, I'm anxious, I'm going to ask, well, you're taking the steroidal compound. Plus you're drinking three caffeinated beverages. There's your anxiety, remove those. And let's see what happens. Like I said, with women, I track your cycle. I want to understand what's happening for you hormonally. Are you on birth control? Are you pregnant? Are you menopausal? That matters. I need to understand where you're coming from spiritually. I need to know, are we talking about God? Are we talking about faith? Is is do you have a community that's important to you? Do you have a sense of meaning that comes from spirituality? that's going to be factored into how we help you cope i need to know what you're doing physically like physical health because if you've got thyroid issues or if you're taking hormones for IVF, there's things that are going to affect your mood and your behavior i need to know what your behaviors are because there's a lot of repetitive behaviors that affect your mood and it's hard to change your mood but it's easier to change your behaviors and say wow you keep getting drunk on Fridays and then being hungover on Saturday and then that translates into Sunday and so that's why your weekends are turning crappy. So that's affecting your mood, it's affecting your productivity, it's affecting your weight and your health. Let's look at that pattern, that habit. So what I try to do is look at all these different kind of pieces around the 360 degree circle and it's it's different for each person but if I don't ask those questions then I'm missing part of the whole. Then I'm just getting, I'm just saying while you're sad but sadness could come from so many different sources, and it's gonna change so much how we, we treat it, we change it, we help it, right? So I try to get that whole piece in the dialogue, and it's a lot to take in in the first hour, and it's a lot to stay on track, because next session, you think we're gonna talk about your relationship, and we end up talking about your health condition when you were 20. But that's an important part of your narrative. And so we try to put it all in there, and it's a lot, but it's, you're a lot, you're complicated. Exactly. That, that's that makes
0: sense. The, yeah, no, that's the important part about being a PhD, it sounds like, because you have the knowledge base to address something from a pharmacological level, um, you know, biological, you know, socio, like all these things that contribute, you're, you're incorporating because your curriculum and the things that you studied through school, you know, provide you with that. It's not like, um, you know, it's, it would be like someone going to a personal trainer, if they had an injury with, and you know, you need someone that actually can address everything. So you go to like a doctor, physical therapy, or like a physician, orthopedic surgeon or something, because they can, they can look at the holistic view. Um, And it's, it's good here that you have, because with the psychology component, it's like, obviously I have no idea how I would address that for someone because that's not what I do. But I could see that becoming very, like without having a 360 health assessment like that, I could see where it could become a mess where they go to a certain um practitioner that they just look at like how do you feel about that and like they don't look at the maybe the other contributing factors so it would be really important to
1: look at the the whole the whole well then going deeper right like thinking of physical therapy right like right now i've got this weird thing that happens in my neck now i have no doubt that if i put some ben gay on there and got a good massage it would feel better okay but it keeps happening and Mm -hmm. so i need a dpt to understand, to really palpate, to get in there, to understand the muscles and the nerve endings and tell me, what is this? Is it ergonomics? Is it my genetics? Is it an old injury? And so you're gonna be able to answer that differently because you're asking all these questions. Whereas my massage therapist is gonna make me feel great. Okay. But then we never really figured out what was happening. Exactly, yeah.
0: Oh yeah, you gotta you gotta let me know about that again. I think you've had this for a while. Haven't you? Oh, there's a new injury.
1: (laughs) Okay. I think I remember
0: you contacting me with, yeah, it might have been a shoulder thing. I forgot, but. Yeah,
1: I had an elbow thing, now i got a shoulder thing. Oh, elbow thing. It's what happens. It's old age. You know, I'm 41. I
0: hope I helped you. I I just was like via text. I'll have to actually treat you someday. No worries. Um, So let's, let me tell the listeners where they can find you, all that good stuff. Because your Instagram is entertaining to me and I'm a layman. I mean, I think it's cool. I, I, you like, sometimes you talk about things that are kind of in the in the social sphere that people are talking about, like the entanglement thing with Will Smith. I think I saw you post something about that. So you have, you have an interesting Instagram. Um, tell us about the Instagram, the website, how people can reach
1: you. Right. So the Instagram is Dr Todd Jardina. It's D-R-T-O-D-D-G-I-A-R-D-I-N-A. Um, that's also the website, com. You can also find me at coralgablescounseling.com. And that's, mm-hmm. I'm part of the Coral Gables Counseling Center. We're located off of 37th Avenue and Coral Way in the Bank of America building. Um, right now we're not in person. It's all remote telehealth until COVID clears. Um, because doing therapy when we both have masks on has been pretty prohibitive. So at least this way we can, <laughs> yeah. I can see your face. You can, you can hear me clearly. Um, I take a little bit of insurance. It's mostly fee for service. Insurance messes up the patient and the provider. So we're trying to get away from that. Um, and as I said, I work with a team. So what's important is even if if you heard something that today on this podcast that I can be helpful with, obviously I want to speak with you, but there's other th- pieces that I can't treat. And we've got people in my office who can do whatever would be needed. Who treat kids, who treat older adults, who work with families, who can test your kids. Uh, we have a, a psychiatrist one day a week so we we try to cover it all. And okay, good. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I will. I'm terrible I will, at marketing myself. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, well, the one
0: thing that he hasn't like expanded on. I mean, I'm like that too. I, it's when you're marketing yourself, it's it's tough because you're like, you sometimes like, you need someone else do. to to build you up. Yeah. Like this guy's awesome. I mean, I I met you through the Bumble Biz thing. Bumble you're the Biz, only person yeah. i ever met through Bumble Biz, and so you're you're proactive. You, you. I mean, when I met with you, I felt I met in your office. It was a very comfortable office. I felt really good, and Thank you. Um, it's. I mean, you're the only real psychologist uh, at this point that I know and follow in the Miami region, and I've heard great things too. Um, hmm. So, people, good. please check him out. And so, drtoddgiardina.com. His Instagram is also drtodd. Jardina, always posting cool stuff, um, and it seems like you're always willing to help. So, if you if Instagram's your thing, feel free. It seems like to message you would be okay. Now I'm just mm-hmm. telling people to harass you, <laughs> and then you no, can check no, out his no. website. His website goes over all the things that that you could possibly, like all the frequently asked questions you might have yeah. uh, for for Todd. So, so check him out. Um, is there anything else that we missed today that that well, you might want that- to mention?
1: When Corona is not going on, uh, Mm -hmm. I I do, I tend to do seminars and talks and workshops and obviously that's all shut down right now. And I've thought about doing it remote, but I like to interact with people in the room Mm -hmm. in person. So once the smoke clears and the dust settles, we'll be going back to that. Um, And so that's something to look forward to. I love doing that. The, the group in-person dynamic, I think it's fun to get people meeting each other. It really helps to have the Q&A and like and pick my brain and let's have this dialogue, kind of like what we're doing here, but with people in the room who, who have similar concerns. So that'll be something to keep an eye out for. I really like doing those kind of workshops and talks. Um, it gets me excited. I think it gets people a chance to sample something that is usually kind of hidden in the closet. You don't usually get to meet a psychologist and just chat with them. Yeah. Uh, so that's, that's to be TBD, but that's out there.
0: Yeah, and uh, just for the listeners to know, I had written out some questions just to warn Dr. Uh, Todd here, and I basically didn't ask half of them, and most of my questions were off the top of my head, so it's not like he was prepared for any of these, so I, I imagine that your public speaking is pretty good, too, because you got really in-depth and had some interesting things to talk about with no warning, so, uh, yeah, and I've seen some of your engagements, like the Fisher Island uh, Club yep. that you went to, so, and that makes perfect sense, you have these communities living together, and you know, they're like a, you know, they're very loose knit, but I mean, like, they're still kind of like families that you want to mm-hmm. at least mm-hmm. engage with. So, um, yeah, so definitely look into that too for Dr. Todd, any kind of public engagements or speaking things that you'd be interested in. Because, man, a psychologist, that's like the perfect. Because uh, I always try to do these, like, events where I teach people things. And with PT, it's great in gyms and such. Mm-hmm. But of people could use you for, like, a lot of things. They could use a psychologist at any kind of. Uh, like a gym, uh, any uh, facility where people live. Like I feel like you would be a great, like Thank any you. kind of like any kind of psychologist, because um, people don't address that stuff. Like that's the theme of the show. I feel like people really don't address this, some of their psychological needs and and things. So, um, so listeners, if you have any issues, uh, check them out. And um, this is Dr. Rob Poliszak with Physiologics, with HealthCast three hundred five. Thanks very much, Dr. Thank Todd. You for um, I, you know, if you ever have time in the future, I'd love to have you on more because I feel like I could really talk about even one subject forever. If I just keep asking you questions and you're really good at answering questions. So <laughs> I would, you. I'd probably go on a rant, um, myself, but we got to go, but thank you very much and, uh, have a good day. Thank Thanks everyone for listening. Adios. Cheers.